Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Wednesday. It's February 15th, 9 degrees here in Old Town Park City. Mostly cloudy skies on the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Geboy. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the work week, and it's a cold and windy start in the Wasatch back. So bundle up if anybody's going to be heading outside relatively soon. And we're still seeing at least a little bit of light snow, generally in the high terrain in northern Utah. But as we go through the day today, the chance for any snow will gradually come to an end because high pressure will start to settle in from our northwest. But at least during the course of the day, we're going to see partly sunny skies. Those winds are going to continue. We we'll, could see some gusts continuing through the day as high as 30 to 35 miles per hour. And with a daytime high only climbing to 20 degrees in Park City, those wind chill values through most of the day could spend in the teens or definitely down in the single digits. Probably going to want that thick winter jacket all day today. And then as we go into tonight, we get calmer conditions, the winds will gradually begin to die down, but with any puff of wind with an overnight low of 4 degrees, those wind chill values likely going to be below zero during the overnight hours. So another very cold start to the morning for our Thursday, but by tomorrow afternoon through the rest of the week into the upcoming weekend with high pressure settling in, we'll go on a little bit of a warming trend. So tomorrow, instead of a daytime high of around 20 degrees like today, we'll be more so in the mid-20s. Winds won't be as strong compared to today, but maybe could see some gusts around 15 to 20 miles per hour. Then on Thursday night, we drop to an overnight low of 10 degrees. And on Friday, the temperature comes up by about 10 degrees, seeing a daytime high in the mid to upper 30s in Park City, very close to our seasonal average for this time of year. And then that temperature kind of levels out more so in the mid 30s going into our Saturday, mostly sunny skies. Clouds will start to increase a little bit going into the second half of this weekend. But I think at this point, the chance of any wet weather looks to stay mostly low. That looks to begin to change, though, as we go into early next week as we start our President's Day through the middle of next week. Forecast models, at least at this point, still very optimistic, will move into an active pattern. So Sunday night, a slight chance of snow. The low temperature by that point will be closer to 20 degrees. And then on Monday, President's Day and Tuesday will be a likelihood with daytime highs in the mid-30s. Overnight lows continue in the 20s. And then those temperatures likely will come down by the second half of next week, Leslie. Okay, Thomas, thanks so much. You're welcome. And taking a look in the backcountry and the fun with us from the Utah Avalanche Forecast Center, we've got Drew. Good morning, Drew. Morning, Leslie. You know, nothing good comes from an east wind, and that's already been borne out this morning. Two skiers booting up a steep couloir in Little Cottonwood Canyon um, were caught by, it's hard to say, it was still dark um, when they were out there at, at five this morning, but probably owing to the strong east to northeast winds, possibly a cornice fall, a natural cornice fall um, that uh, fell down onto the slope. I mean, you wouldn't even call it a slope because it's a very steep couloir. Culpit 4 is the name of the couloir in lower Little Cottonwood Canyon um, and uh, probably triggered a shallow wind slab um, or maybe some loose snow, but anyway, cascaded down the couloir. Um, the two skiers were transitioning at that time. They were skinning up and they were transitioning to putting their skis on their packs and they were carried about 150 to 200 feet down the couloir. Lost a little bit of, lost a little bit of gear, um, banged up, but uh, otherwise okay. Um, so in that, in that sense, um, you know, unusual uh, weather creates unusual avalanches in that way. We're so used to our prevailing winds, Leslie being from the from the west, you know, northwest, southwest, and, and loading those easterly aspects. But when things are backwards and upside down, you know, you're getting the strong winds out of the northeast and east, um, you know, that's loading a lot of these westerly 
facing aspects. And I suspect that was the, the key for that. And even, you know, seeing strong winds up high, but also moderate winds uh, at some of the mid elevation slopes as well. And that's certainly pronounced there on the, in the Park City, um, along the Park City ridgeline there where, where um, you're seeing sort of the full brunt of the north and easterly winds. So um, areas of moderate danger at the mid and upper elevations. Um, the day is still young, uh, so folks should go into the backcountry anticipating um, finding uh, fresh soft slabs of wind-drifted snow in unusual locations and, and uh, exercise caution if getting into steep terrain, especially very steep terrain, as we uh, learned this morning. So that's, that's a good verification of um, what we know to be true uh, with the um, strong east winds. So um, that's about it. We'll see, um, we'll see uh, clearing skies and, and slowly diminishing winds and probably working towards uh, a low avalanche danger in the coming days until the next storm arrives. Okay, Drew, thank you. Stay tuned. Coming up, we'll be checking in with Park City Institute Executive Director Ari Ioannidis discussing the new contract that was approved yesterday between the Park City School District and the Institute. Later on, Park City Manager Matt Dias and Deputy Manager Sarah Pierce with a preview of this week's lengthy City Council meeting. Finally, Leadership Park City founder Miles Rademan with details on the annual Leadership 101 Day happening this Friday. Well, after Tiger Woods' design firm announced a golf course in the Wasatch Back, some voice concerns about the water the Greens will require. As KPCW's Ben Lasseter reports, a representative of the project says that developers are investing in ways to conserve. While golfers may have rejoiced at news of a Tiger Woods-endorsed golf course coming to Wasatch County, many asked if using lots of water to keep its fairways green is an appropriate use after years of drought. A press release from Marcella Club, which is overseeing the project, said the 18-hole course will be open for the 2025 season. It also said the course will be 8,000 yards long on Heber City land between the Jordanell Reservoir and U.S. Highway 40. It would be one of the longest and highest elevated courses in Utah. Marcella Club Managing Director Beth Armstrong said the water to sustain the course will come from the Jordanell. She said minimizing how much water it uses will be a priority. We are insisting on using the latest in water conservation technologies with our irrigation, etc. She said that includes using multi-million dollar storage tanks rather than ponds to decrease evaporation. She also said the course will recycle treated wastewater. I guess the best case scenario may be to do nothing on the land, but as we know, that's not going to be an option. It's either going to have residences put there, which will use much more water than a golf course would, especially with the new technologies that are constantly coming out and keeping as much natural vegetation. And really the only green part is going to be the fairways and the greens themselves, that this will be one of the better case scenarios for this property. A design for the course shows 18 green parcels where the different holes will be built. The vegetation surrounding the holes will not be irrigated. According to the release, Marcella Club is a collaboration between three developers, Reef Capital Partners, Raintree Investment Corporation, and Cross Lake Partners. Those companies didn't respond to multiple requests for information about how much water the new course could require. According to Armstrong, information such as how much water the project owns rights to use won't be available until after more detailed design phases take place. Water conservationists have recently increased scrutiny of golf courses and other major water users. State lawmakers called efforts to support the Great Salt Lake a priority in the current legislative session after it reached record low levels last year. 
The Utah Rivers Council has testified at the State House this session about ways to replenish the Great Salt Lake and its feeders. Executive Director Zach Frankel questioned the claim that the Tiger Woods Golf Course will use less water than a different type of development might. He said golf courses are among the biggest water users per acre in Utah. In municipal areas, he said outdoor watering, such as on golf courses, accounts for three times the amount of water used inside buildings. The amount of water we use in our homes is only a small fraction of our total municipal water use because we're using so much water outside on our landscapes. So there's no question that golf courses use vast quantities of water compared to indoor water use of homes or multifamily development. He estimated that while an average person uses up to 60 gallons of water a day, or 22,000 a year, an acre of grass at high elevation requires up to 600,000 gallons in a year to stay healthy. The Salt Lake Tribune reported that during drought-stricken 2021, Salt Lake County used 663 million gallons of water to water its six public courses. The report cited information released in a public records request. Data on the water golf courses use is hard to come by as many courses have private owners who aren't required to publicize their water use. In late January, a state lawmaker tried to address that with a bill that would have required golf courses to release how much water they use in a year. Representative Doug Welton, a Republican who represents Utah County, sponsored that bill, entitled House Bill 188. It failed to make it to the floor for approval in its original form. Instead, the House Natural Resources Committee changed the bill to specifically exempt public and private golf course operators from having to release water data requested in public records requests. Frankel called it a potential step backward for transparency in the golf industry and efforts to sustain Utah streams and lakes. At a time when the public is clamoring for more transparency and information about how we use water in Utah, the Utah legislature is considering a new bill to put a gag order on golf course water use and prevent the public from knowing who's using how much water. Any claims that water is not important or that a particular use is not using much water, it needs to be supported by good science and good data. The proposal to exempt golf courses from public information requests is tied to a Utah State University study scheduled to end by July 2026. If House Bill 188 passes, that's when the exemption for golf courses to report water data would expire. Ben Lassiter, KPCW News. The Park City Board of Education voted 4-1 to one yesterday to approve the Memorandum of Understanding with the Park City Institute. Board Chair Andrew Kaplan was the only no vote. He argued for a two-year contract expiring in 2024 rather than the proposed five-year memorandum ending in December of 2027. In the studio with an update on what that means now going forward, I have the Executive Director of the Park City Institute, Ari Ioannidis. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. So what are the most significant changes to the MOU? Well, uh, there's there's a couple things. First of all, uh, the new MOU allows the Park City Institute to program uh, up to two years in advance, which is exciting because shows like uh, this weekend's Legally Blonde, the musical, um, tour. And in order for us to be able to get them in, we have to have give them advance notice. So we typically can't get those kind of groups in unless we know in advance. So that's a good thing. Uh, the other thing is the school district will get um, $2 per ticket as a facility use fee. Uh, we used to give them 50 cents per ticket, uh, only on full price tickets. The new facility use fee will be on all tickets, student tickets, two for one tickets, anything we sell, school district get that, so more revenue. And then the school district also is reserving eight dates um, 
that they can program and rent to third parties before we have an opportunity to fill those dates. So that that's kind of an overview of the yeah. differences. So how many days do you get? How much how much advance notice do you have those eight days? Uh, well, well, we'll we usually go into a meeting in May or April after the. Uh, school calendar is set and then uh we we look at we you know we try and take as many days as we can we because what happens is we only want to program about 15. Mm -hmm. um but when we go back to the 50 or so acts that we have sort of queued up it's like it's kind of like being an air traffic controller you have to pick this day and find out when they're going to be here and figure out when they're routing through so you know we hold a certain number of days um we book those, and then in August, we release them to the school district to rent to whoever they want to rent to. Yeah. Um, and then the $2 ticket fee on a $5 student ticket. So there's that's, that's basically a wash there, huh? This agreement <laughs> has no requirement for a $5 student ticket. That was in the previous agreement. So there, there's, uh, uh, we will most likely continue to do that. Um, and the two-for-one teacher, that's another thing that's not in this agreement, but most likely we'll continue those programs. But yeah, if we do a $5 student ticket, it'll become $7. Yeah. Um, and then regarding board member Kaplan's concern about, he thought it just a two-year contract would be better. Uh, can you work under a two-year contract? I guess that doesn't really make sense if you can book up to two years in advance. Well, a part of it... Well, you, the old agreement used to say anything that was booked, we could still program, and that's what we're operating on now. The new agreement doesn't have that provision. So th that kind of scared me a little bit. I was, I was a little shocked with, with um, I thought we had a better relationship with the school district. And what I was hearing from uh, one particular board member was, was a little shocking in that there, there seemed to be some misinformation and holdover from well, practices in the past. So... Uh, I think that's what he was concerned about, but I think we've illustrated over the last three years that we're financially viable, our donors are coming back, we're a good partner in the community. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to do a better job. Yeah. Um, board member Kaplan said that he was disappointed in the narrative that the Institute has put out there during this negotiation process, and he referred to fear-mongering and attacks on the school board. I mean, would you like to respond to that? Well, I don't know that we attacked the school board um, but what I will say is that <laughs> there was a there was a gap in communication. The school board assumed that under their new policy 1101 that we would be able to continue programming, and Wendy had expressed that, um, and that's just not the case. Uh, for us to be able to uh, work program national touring acts to be able to come and and present there. We need to be able to reserve a certain number of days that will allow us to fill that programming. Uh, that policy would have required us to put a non-refundable deposit for the entire rental fee for each one of those shows. And then, so it, it would have had a chilling effect on our ability to program. And the board had decided that without an agreement, that next year's season wouldn't happen. So if that's fear-mongering, then yeah, but, you know, we did it. But that was just the uh, the reality of the situation yeah so it was not intended to attack the school board or to say they weren't supportive of the arts i think they just didn't understand that you know they kept saying that the policy would allow it so i think once again we didn't do a good enough job 
communicating directly with those members. Yeah, so how do you improve the relationship that something board member Wendy Crossland thought is, is needed here? Uh, you know, one of the things I love the school board did is they had it had put in a provision in the agreement, there was an amendment, that we come in once a year and talk to the school board. Uh, we had tried to do that before and were able to come in during public comment and uh, receive some positive reviews from that. I think it's imperative. The old agreement had a provision where there was a liaison that sat on our board. Um, we had one this year and did a great job. And I think that allows a peak within the organization. You know, Ann had all the financials, everything we were doing, every decision the board was making, she saw firsthand. So she was able to, I think, take that information back. So I think the more we work with them, the, uh, the more open the communication is, the more uh, we open up our organization. You know, I have a great deal of respect for all the board members and the work they do. And sitting through the board meeting, it was evident that they care about the students in the community. I think that we just need to talk more. Yeah. Um, well, board member Kaplan had mentioned that he thinks that the board turnover on the Institute is high, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, we lost one voting board member this year. We added two new board members, most nonprofits turn over their boards every three years. They have a three-year term limit. So I, I don't think so. Um, you know, Anne uh, left the board, I think, uh, you know, because she was busy and uh, left on good terms. So, I mean, the, the school board had two new board members, you know, so out of five. Um, board member Kaplan also referred to financial dysfunction with Park City Institute. What's that about? Well, as everyone knows, when I took over, we were in the whole $750,000. The balance sheet was upside down. I think a lot of the things he was mentioning happened, you know, more than three years ago before the pandemic. And I, I think we've cleaned things up. <clears throat> All those documents are public. You can go to our website. There's an annual report we put out every year, the 990, which is the uh, IRS um, report that all nonprofits produce is publicly available. Um, you know, uh, we share our financials with the school district every year. The <clears throat> new agreement doesn't have a provision for that, for that, but we will continue to do that. Yeah. Um, also, unlike previous agreements, there is no requirement for the Institute to conduct student outreach or to report on activities um, to the, the school district. You mentioned that you will continue to, to provide those updates, but how does that impact then the student outreach? Well, I mean, it, it gives us the ability if we run low on funds to terminate that program, but uh, that would be a board decision. I think it's a key component of our educate, illuminate, entertain tagline it's something that we have increased in the last two years we've been more collaborative with the staff and the teachers at the school district and i think you know my goal would be to continue at the level that we're at right now to continue to engage the students it's it's wonderful when you see it unfortunately a lot of people don't see it it you know, sometimes you cry. It's it's just amazing. We're changing students' lives. Yeah. Um, so what's going to happen? You, you finish out this. Do you have a summer season yet to announce? Or when, that's, when is um, that going to happen? Jenny is currently working on the winter season. Um, we are uh, hopefully going to identify a summer venue. We've queued up a bunch of artists. We lost a couple um, to... Uh, to some other venues because uh, of we, we don't have an agreement yet. The big news is Saints and Sinners is coming. So uh, we, we now have just released it. You can actually, my guess is it'll sell out. We've got a special surprise guest again. So you can actually go to the website right now, parkcityinstitute.org. There are tickets available for the two nights of Legally Blonde, the musical tonight, and the Saints and Sinners Ball. 
Okay, when are you having the Saints and Sinners? I think it's, uh, I want to say 18th? the 18th, yes. It, so very close to St. Patrick's Day, and then uh, a possibility of a surprise concert the 17th before that. So. Okay, um, but again, we don't have an announcement on the summer schedule Not yet? yet? No, no, we're, right. we're in a holding pattern there. All right, and then the winter won't be announced until sometime late August, September? Yeah, usually about the time you guys are doing your annual winter fund raising. So we'll come in and make a big deal about it. All right. Can you talk about some of the venues you're thinking about for this summer? I really can't say. Yeah. I but would like to. You're going to go back outdoors or are you going to keep it indoors? Yes. Outdoors is our goal. We, we will, if, we, if we're forced to program without an outdoor venue, uh, it's my feeling that that w- would be something we would pass on. Hmm. Okay. Because you did get some good crowds. For the country stars. We had great crowds indoors. For all, Actually, okay. all four of the shows we did and one Professor Rock show we did inside were all very well attended. Yeah. Yeah, but you just, people don't want to be inside? It's, it's a lot of work, and uh, I think our focus is to be outside. I mean, the, the revenue from 5,000 to 3,000 people attending a concert versus 600 to 1,200 it's a, we can bring a whole different class of artists in. So the, the finances are totally different. Okay. Um, let's see. You announced last year that you would be stepping down as of the end of March. So do we have a replacement for you? We don't yet. The board had decided to pause the search for a, um, executive director. If we weren't going to be able to program in the summer and in the winter, they, were, they felt like there was no need to, you, you know, bring a executive director in under those circumstances. So my feeling is, and, and we're having a board meeting next week, that that will be resumed. We have queued up a search firm. Um, we've had a couple of people in the community who I think would make great candidates step forward now that this has been resolved. And I think we'll, we'll have a really strong candidate come forward pretty soon. All right. So will you stay on then as long as it needs well, to? Yeah, I'll, yeah. Say, I'll stay on as... Uh, uh, executive director until that happens. And, and also, you know, I plan to stay on the board and, and be active. Ember and I are passionate about a lot of uh, the local nonprofits, but this one is, it adds a lot to the community. And we think it's important that we donate our time and, and efforts to make sure it, it's viable. Okay. Anything else you want to mention? Like I said, Legally Blonde the Musical this weekend, that's a full Broadway show, touring show, pit orchestra, costumes, sets, three trucks. Uh, this is why we built the Eccles. <clears throat> so come out and support it, and we'll have more shows like that in the future. All right. Ari, right, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, Leslie. Ari right, Inez is the executive director of the Park City Institute. For the Park City Council meeting Thursday and work session to discuss, among other topics, trails and open space. There's a proposed water rate increase. In the studio with an, in, uh, with an update, I have City Manager Matt Dias along with Deputy City Manager Sarah Pierce. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? Great. So we're going to try and rip through. you got a ton <laughs> of topics on the agenda. So let's see. Real quick, I'm, I've got Heinrich coming in Monday, but the uh, Trails and Open Space Department will be uh, providing its biannual overview of some upcoming work this spring. I mean, one of the things I read there was interesting that the Treasure Hill Conservation Easement still hasn't gone through. It really takes that long to to get something done? It does, believe it or not. I think there's a full site assessment um, uh, surveying in that area. There's a bunch of underlying covenants that run with that land. 
um, easements. Uh, Rocky Mountain Power has easements. There's obviously ski utility easements. So it just takes a while to wrap that up. But in this next year, we hope to bring that to closure. Okay. Um, let's see. At 3.15, an update on winter operations, mid-season, and the annual transit performance. Uh, the good news here is that riders are back on the bus. Numbers are going up. Um, I wanted to just to, the, the city has a goal of 90% of on-time performance system up to about 86% of on-time reliability and uh, I, but it just shuts down with special events. Is that where what's killing us here? Special events and those really, you know, those peak days of traffic that we are continually looking for ways to solve and provide transit priorities so that people can use the bus and get to where they want to go on time. Yeah, so are we thinking about that? And the reason I ask is that I've been riding the bus a lot lately, and during the World Cup weekend, I could not find a bus to ride. I sat at my stop for almost 40 minutes, um, and because they were all backed up yep. at Deer Valley. And again, because we've got the car, we got the buses in with mm -hmm. the cars. Do we need to rethink about how we do special events there? And just like, you know what? Take the bus. Well, yeah, and I think we're working toward that. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a balance of parking and transit and transit priority lanes, and we're working on all of those, um, you know, solutions. And I'm I'm excited actually for some of the positives that we've seen from some of these things. And we're going to have special events, and we're going to have congestion, and we've just all got to band together and and work toward a solution on that. Right, but if people are relying on the bus to get somewhere and then yep. can't get a bus, I mean, we've got a problem. I'm, I completely agree. Yeah, So, but we're not talking about closing the parking lots at World Cup. We're not talking uh, anything that drastic, but, you know, there's continual need to improve. And, and every time we do something, we make an adjustment, we try things, some of them work, some of them don't. And, you know, every year we'll tweak and, and see if we can get there. All right. Uh, city has tried some new things. Richardson Flat Park and Ride sounds like that's picking up steam. The question is, do we keep it year round? That's the question. You know, we came to council last fall with two pilot programs that what were supported. Um, you know, running a, a, a bus service from Richardson Flat, and we have seen great use of that. Um, I think we are all pleasantly surprised with the use. We'd, we'd love to see more, uh, but it was a good first start. And so, and we, we funded that through April 15th. So now we need to come back to council and say, you want to keep going? We've got some good ridership. You know, what, what does council want to do? Okay, there is some talk about maybe just uh, a Richardson Flat route uh, more morning and evening commute times? Correct. Okay, but that would have to be a funded mandate there. Correct, yep. All right. Um, people currently have to get off at the high school and wait for another bus to pick them up if they're headed out uh, to ski. Um, why was What was the thinking when we developed this not to go directly to the resorts? You know, I think uh, it was expensive to go with, to do a direct route to each resort. And then we also wanted to provide a service to Park City Heights neighborhood and really co concentrate on the core of the workforce and get them to their destination. So the idea was one route that would stop in a very few locations before it got to Old Town so that there was this centralized service that then you could transfer to get where you needed to go. Was the thinking also maybe that uh, by putting more buses going to the resorts that we're now just adding to the congestion? Mm, I, I'm not sure about that because we, we have focused really heavily on 
um, especially around the Park City Mountain Base, the circulation and prioritizing transit. So we do have a good flow going up there. Um, I think it just, you know, thinking about one route, one centralized spine from that destination, from that location with this pilot program. And we've learned a lot from it and, and council may decide to go in a different direction. We'll see what they say on Thursday night. Okay. Um, we've also added micro transit does, um, well, I guess that we're seeing increasing um, numbers on that. Does it make sense then at this point to do a full microtransit service? It might. We, um, we're excited to come. This is, you know, mid-season, so we don't have the full winter um, statistics and analysis, and we're really looking for people that are in those locations and able to use that service. We're looking for their feedback. We want to know how it's going. Caroline Rodriguez from High Valley Transit is our partner on that, and she is going to be presenting on Thursday night with some statistics and some recommendations for going forward. All right. Uh, the number of citations issued this winter is uh, picking up compared to the last two years. Is that just uh, due to enforcement? More it enforcement? is. We we really doubled down on enforcement this year um, with neighborhood protection in mind. And you can see from the statistics that that proved to be a useful tool. Um, and we're seeing a lot less cut through of um, traffic through neighborhoods and a lot less parking in places where you're not supposed to. Yeah. Can you explain to me why did we have 15th Street closed? We had a huge snow berm at the at the top there. It's now been cleared. So was that just about the construction happening there? No, nope, that was part of our traffic mitigation strategy around the resort base, um, part of our circulation plan. And we committed to keeping those roadways closed on peak days. And there was a big stretch of pretty much a peak day every day in December, you know, starting with the holidays and through Sundance. And now you're seeing us pull back on days that we kind of forecasted to not be peak days so that those roadways are open on those days. But it's pretty few and we've gotten really positive feedback from that those neighborhoods that, you know, it's been a lot less cut through on those two streets. Sure. Uh, but I'm just guessing though, I mean, why would you buy property near a ski resort and not expect people to drive on the roads there. Again, those are, you know, Matt and I have had this conversation <laughs> a lot. Those are city roads. We all pay for the, the plowing and the maintenance of them. They shouldn't be private roads, which you're now treating it mm, as. I don't believe, I, I think it's more about, you know, providing access to residents versus, you know, major traffic thoroughfares. I don't think those roads were ever meant to be major corridors of accessing a major destination. And we have focused that um, traffic to be in those major circulation areas and it's working. Yeah, um, I, I would- But it's not on busy days. It's working on the ingress <laughs> very well, um, both for the reasons of the paid parking and, and reservation system that Park City Mountain put in place. We're seeing much more of a flow not everybody's arriving at the same time and the ingress is greatly improved. Now we've got to do some work on the egress and we're, we're looking at, you know, how we can make those tweaks for next year. Okay. Um, and then there have been, uh, when I've written it, lots of writers on the teal route, but it's one of the first routes that gets cut when you're short staff. How short staffed are we? We are, I don't know the exact numbers, but we are down a few. And what's really interesting is we increased the salaries to stay competitive for transit drivers. And that proved really helpful. We received a ton of interest in, um, in our recruitment strategy. And as soon as we ran out of housing for those transit drivers, 
we saw the, the numbers go down. So we're working on, are there different ways that we can support that, that program and, those, and getting enough drivers by providing some housing, some additional housing in town? Okay. Um, also, I, I noticed parking at the mark now enforced for three hours. Were you seeing people using that as a we, ski, we, we ski were, yep, yep. Yeah. So, where else have you kind of discovered that people have? Well, we're hearing um, a lot of private lots are seeing the you know the impacts of that, and we are um, talking to Prospector uh, HOA right now about ways that we can work together and and help them implement some additional measures. Um, We'll see how that goes. We haven't we haven't had those meetings yet, but we're we're excited to talk to them and help you know see if there's a strategy that we can you know share best practices of things we learned. Yeah, and so and then like areas like Fresh Market or perhaps the market at Park City. I mean, are are they on their own in terms of they are it's a private lots? lot. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, in terms of all of the revenue collection with the citations, where's that money? going towards well we beefed up our staffing in a lot of areas so that is paying for a lot of that and and you know with all the snow we've had snow removal you know much bigger than we've ever seen before we have we're going to have maintenance um, needs on our roads based on all this snow uh, so it's you know it goes right back into the system and and to continue to make it a nice experience for everyone okay um, the city is buying 15 new buses they're all going to be electric they're all going to be electric yep we're very excited about getting those buses we were hoping to get them in the fall and you know with the supply chain and everything that's been going on we're we're hoping to see them in March yeah, six of them, though, going right to High Valley Transit, huh? Actually, I think it's eight going mm. to High Valley Transit. Um, and that was part of our um, negotiation in the in the agreement when High Valley took on the regional routes. And we are focusing on the municipal routes. We, we have always been in partnership on this kind of vehicle re replacement uh, savings account. And in that separation, um, that's part of the you know the buses that they will get yeah now the the city's still operating diesel buses but won't be buying any more they actually they're they're workhorses though they last what 15 years about three and the our current bus is three years longer than what the, the fta thought they would are we seeing similar um life expectancy on the electric buses we're hopeful i mean this is these are you know it's not brand new we were on the cutting edge when we bought the first of the electric buses um, but we're still you know it's still trial and error as a little bit with how these buses are are going to survive in our mountain climate but we're very hopeful and that it's been a lot they've done a lot more testing in that area and it's going to be great and you know the federal lifespan is 12 years and we should have already replaced those buses they're working fine but it's not ideal. So we're excited to be replacing um, at least seven of them right now. Okay, Matt, uh, at 4.15, a water rate discussion, council holding a work session. Um, what potential changes are, are being discussed? Um, you know, I, I think the most important thing is, um, you know, all customers actually will, will hopefully experience a change. And that's generally customers with low water use may see an actual decrease in cost and customers with a high water use will see an increase in cost. Um, the largest impact here is to our commercial customer base. Um, as most of the community knows, over the last several years, we've moved to a tiering system in the residential side of our water system. 
And now it's time to approach the commercial side of our water system. So, you know, pricing tiers increase the cost for the highest water users. They rebalance their kind of revenue distribution. So um, commercials paying their fair share and residents are paying their fair share. I think the real uh, the real takeaway here is these are some pretty progressive changes. They align, we believe, um, with the direction we've received from city council and the mayor and the community values with conservation and sustainability. The real question, I believe, for the mayor council is the implementation. Is this done in one year? Is it done over multiple years? Um, but for me, this has been a, a multi-year process, and uh, it's going to provide a lot more parity in our water system and sustainability and conservation moving forward. Okay. Um Council will also get a sales tax update from November. Transient room tax is down 27% year over year. Transit tax is down almost 12%. Just fewer people? Is that what the reason is? I think generally, you know, if I had to sum this up in a single sentence, uh, sort of thinking about what I would say and... I'd say this is more or less a COVID rebalancing effect. I mean, it, November typically is a, is a relatively minor month for us overall and that it's a little bit of an in-between month. Um, although, you know, one of the resorts typically opens by Thanksgiving. Uh, however, we have very conservative forecasting. So year over year, we're still up around eight or 10%. And yes, the month of November was off. So we're not looking at this as a major signal or anything else. It more or less tracks with, you know, what we were projecting for the entire year. Year, but we're eyes wide open and we're you know heavily anticipating um, the December month which will be a full ski month where we had incredible peaks on the holidays and for us I think that's going to be the real tell all right council also set to approve about a three hundred eighty nine thousand dollar feasibility cent, uh, study with MKSK this is for small area plan for the Bonanza and Snow Creek and community property it's being called we're not calling it the Arts and Culture District anymore? <laughs> well, I guess it's in the eyes of the beholder. Um, you know, it's my, I think it's my ninth year with the municipality. And um, even in those nine years, it's had multiple names over time. We were looking at Form Base Code and BOPA and Bonanza Park and the Arts and Culture District. But to back up uh, for a minute, um, two different planning exercises. One is this larger area plan for this kind of Bonanza area, this larger area, and then a feasibility study or feasibility analysis for the cultural district property itself. Uh, the good news here is we're making a positive step forward. Uh, we had been stalled for um, for probably the better part of a year or a year and a half. And we know this is an iconic piece of property in town. Um, it has a higher and better land use for community uses and services. I think people are really excited to get back in the game and engage in sort of scope and design um, what this land can mean for, for Park City moving forward. So really excited about this firm that that has planning studios all over the country and has done some really exciting projects um, all over the country, but really in the mid-Atlantic area, really in this area around Washington, D.C. And so there is a very comprehensive uh, staff report and several attachments in the packet for the mayor and council for their consideration. And uh, excited to get to work with this firm, uh, worked hard with a group of stakeholders internal and external stakeholders and uh, RFP review committee and the decision was unanimous in recommending this firm. Yeah, um, but we've already done kind of planning studies on this property. We're doing one more? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the conventional wisdom is it would be easy to default to just, hey, we've already done this. Why can't we just, you know, start up the band again? And, um, 
you know, I, I, that's not the direction that we received from the mayor and council. It was that the community has additional input and additional feedback and the previous plans um, were not compatible or maybe even financially sustainable for the community moving forward. And so, although there is another short-term expenditure, I mean, this is a piece of property that's gonna be in the hands of the community for hundreds of years to come. And I think that to spend a little bit more money now to try to get it right and to try to make sure we're taking post-COVID-19 feedback feasibility analysis, market analysis for the land uses, uh, believe is in the best interest long-term. Yeah, uh, but I think one of the biggest complaints about the previous plans was the cost of implementing it. And it was like, well, we thought that this made sense to have a more dense, um, more, you know, and, and put that affordable housing and put like a transit center. And so if it's not about cost, I mean, do we just have a few buildings on there? I mean, or is it still the vision to put, you know, a dense affordable housing there? Well, I think we're going to find out. I, I, I think that will be the effort of these two plans that are going to be compatible and happen concurrently with a very professional design workshop um, consulting firm. We're going to we're going to form two stakeholder groups, uh, one for the larger plan and one for the smaller plan that are going to be working with abutting property owners, small business owners, residents, and other stakeholders. But um, you know, the, I think the future. We are very optimistic about the future. You know, our biggest takeaway is what we are not looking for is another plan. Perhaps to your point of ad hoc planning principles, just sort of these visionary aspects of mobility and connectivity. I mean, those are bell words and they are lofty goals, but we are really looking for a tactical program of actions that can affect the community vision and values in the land use decision. So how much housing, how much retail, how much parking infrastructure, community parking infrastructure, plazas, pathways, and then of course our really two important stakeholders in the Sundance Institute and the Kimball Arts Center. So um, we are looking for a tactical, actionable plan, not just sort of ad hoc planning principles. Okay. Anything else either of you would like to mention at this point? I don't nope. think so. Okay. Matt, Sarah, thanks so much for your time this Thank morning. You, appreciate it. Well, coming up this Friday, it's the annual Leadership 101 event, an opportunity to learn more about local organizations and hear from our local leaders. In the studio with details, I have the founder of Leadership Park City, Miles Rademan. Good morning. Good morning, Leslie. Did, did you hold one of these last year? We did, but it had to be online. Okay. Most right. of it, yeah. All right. So, so this one Friday is going to be when and where? Well, it's going to be at the Blair Education Center, which is part of the hospital, for anyone that doesn't know it. It'll be from 8.30 to 4, and it's open to the public. Um, I'd like to say it's free, but it's not free. There's a $50 fee, but that's really just to pay for the food for the lunch and the breaks that we have to pay the hospital. Okay. Um, who should plan to be here? <clears throat> well, we've always said this from the beginning. This is an attempt to take the leadership program to the whole community. So. If you've been here a week or you've been here 30 years, um, you're going to learn something probably that you hadn't heard before, or at least you're going to piece it together. I mean, we hear bits and pieces of this on the radio all the time. So I don't think you'll hear something you haven't heard before. But for anyone who's attending this thing in one day, you're going to get a pretty broad swath of who's doing what in the community. Not, not everyone, but you know a lot of the projects that are going on, some of the opposition to those projects, what the school board is doing, what the chamber is doing, what the real estate look like, um, you know, sustainable tourism, the future of our schools. So we, it's a potpourri, really. It's, it's a broad brush, but it's um, comprehensive. Yeah, so you do bring in folks from the school district and the board of realtors and the chamber and- Yes. 
we have speakers from, from all those groups. And, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of time, so this is not a deep dive, but it's uh, a broad brush uh, of what the issues they're facing and how they're handling them. So I think whoever comes leaves that day with a, a much better understanding of, of the temperature of Park City and the, and the greater community. When I say Park City, I mean the whole region really now. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more than Park City. All right. Um, and it goes, I mean, that's a long day. Oh, it's a long day. It's, uh, we're all exhausted by the, by the time it's over because it is like a fire hose. <laughs> and people always say that. But, you know, we've taken the temperature uh, every year and people say, that was really worth it. I mean, I just, I never put it together the way we've heard it in that one day. So, yeah, front, front desk people, realtors, business people, um, you know, anyone who just wants to find out what the community is about. Yeah, I know uh, we've got a new reporter, <clears throat> Connor Thomas, that's going to be there. And again, learning a lot yeah, you in, do. Yeah, in, in, yeah right. in a day. So, yeah, it's great for, for especially new staff members or something. Um, with, with 30 years of, uh, maybe we better, uh, back up, how do, how do people register? That's what people so, need. <clears throat> they just go on the city's website, parkcity.org, and there's a button. And you just click down on the, on the homepage. You click down, and it'll say News, and there's a button for Leadership 101. You click on that, and you can register instantly. Okay. Um, and with almost 30 years of offering this uh, leadership program, how do you think that that has um, contributed to, to making change in our communities? Well, you know, I think what we've, the, the key to the whole thing is creating a web of relationships. So when we talk about community, it means you have to have people gather together. And that's really the whole, the, the whole resident for the, for the program is just to bring people together, people who have a, a deep-seated interest in what's going on here, introduce them to each other and network with each other. And then along with that, we try to provide relevant information so that when people make decisions or they um, want to know what's going on, they're hearing from the people who are actually implementing the projects that they're talking about. All right. Um, how, how would attending something like this, do you think, help somebody be more effective in you know <coughs> community meetings or right and, and as a matter of fact the last part of this session uh on friday is uh, we have we've invited the three groups that are fighting development now citizen groups that are opposed in one way or another to some of the developments going on and we wanted them to exactly say that how did they as citizens get involved what are their frustrations how would they change the public process what's their advice to anyone else who's just getting involved so we're trying to give both a development standpoints you know here's some of the developers that are trying to develop good projects here and here's some of the citizens who don't like what's being developed Okay. It, it's a tightrope. It, it's definitely a tightrope. And, you know, we're always at an inflection point in Park City. There's never a dull moment here. Yeah. Um, usually in the next month or so, you hold, hold the uh, guest speaker for the, the community, community lecture. lecture. Yeah, and yeah. actually this year is interesting. I'm just putting out the flyer on it. Well, we'll put it out soon here. But we have, um, in fact, here's a, a rough copy of the flyer. We have Deidre Walsh. Uh, and we have uh, Todd Bennett, and we have Nathan Rafferty, and we also have someone you probably know, Ralph Garrison from Decimetrics. So uh, we're going to do a deep dive. That'll be a deep dive on March 20th into uh, the present and future of the ski industry that we're so dependent on. Okay. Uh, and that'll be free and open to the public. That will be at the Santee Auditorium, 7 to 9 at night. Okay. and No food, so it's free. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be... Um 
I'll moderate it. Uh, I, although I don't think these people need a lot of moderation from what I remember. Right, right. Okay. Um, and then you're also, what, in the midst of the Class 29 leadership yeah, program? Yeah, we're in Class 29, and... Uh, yeah, they're about ha they're halfway through their year already. So, uh, you know, we, we don't recruit for a new class until the summer coming up, and that'll be class 30, the, the last, uh, yeah, it'll be amazing class, class 30. Okay. But, the, but class 29, class 28, you were in class 28. They're great classes. And each year I meet so many wonderful people, and they meet each other. It's very, it's very gratifying. Yeah. Have you chosen a, a destination for your city tour? I have. Where's that? I can't tell you. Oh. <laughs> well, the only reason I, I'm not trying to be snippy, but um, I haven't confirmed all the details with them, and I don't want to say something and then have to retract it later on. Okay. But it'll be in Colorado. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, and uh, class leadership gave you um, a bell to kind of control the, the herd yeah, the cats? We gave that to Paige Galvin. Who's, is it working? Uh, uh, she's, not, she's not aggressive enough with it yet. We're going to give her some aggression lessons <laughs> coming up here. But it is hard to uh, herd cats. Everyone's a leader, you know, so getting them all on the same page takes a bell. Okay. All right. Again, Friday, February 17th, 8.30 to 4. It's the Leadership 101 mini leadership class. Yeah. It's just, uh, and our present class will be there as well. They're required to go now to okay. that. So, All right. So that'll be great. Parkcity.org for more information. Yeah. Thanks so much for Anything having else? me. Anything else? No, I, you know, it's just lovely to do this. And uh, hopefully people, if they like, will just come over to the Blair Education Center and, uh, and join us. Okay. Miles, thank you. Thank you, Les. Miles Raderman, again, the founder of the Leadership Park City.